Hello and welcome to the Trendy Scoop. My name is Claudia Savage and we have a really, really, really huge show in store for you today. On top of our, the always entertaining Emma Watson and Neve Bell with their TV and film recommendations, we will be talking to TikToker and musician Kent Crow, who has over 4 million streams on Spotify, YouTuber Ryan Hollinger, whose horror analysis videos are breathing new life into the discourse of horror online, and finally, I'll be chatting to five of the members of Cardia and Irish Dancing Group, whose TikToks are bringing traditional Irish dance to a new generation and to new places in the world as they currently sit on over 20 million likes and over 100 million views. I am very excited to introduce our first guest for the episode. It is Kane DeCrow. He's a musician and TikToker with nearly 600,000 followers on TikTok and 4.1 million streams and counting on Spotify. His album started in college, came out in July this year, and he is only on from strength to strength. We'll be talking about his musical roots as well as his TikTok platform and what's ahead. In- so I'm here now with Kane DeCrow. Kane, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we'll start off talking about your TikToks, which is how like I first became more of you, and I'm sure a lot of other people. So why did you want to start out making TikToks? Uh, I think it was because I had always loved making YouTube videos and I just didn't have the time anymore to put like into YouTube, which was it's very time consuming, especially because I had so many other things going on. And so when I discovered TikTok, I kind of saw like an easy <clears throat> sort of outlet where I could, you know, create like the videos that I wanted to make and just like post what I wanted to post and without it being too time consuming and allowing me to like continue working on my music and like the other things that I had to focus on <clears throat> and you're more so you're sort of most popular like it sort of is like a series now would be like the living with girls videos so why yeah. did that just start out as like something fun and like when did they start to get really popular um I think it always starts as something fun and stupid and like a bit of an accident and you just make like one video and then it just does really well. And then you're like, oh, that that works. People like that. And then you just recreate it. I mean, if you kind of look at any of the sort of successful TikTokers, um, the most successful ones really will have stumbled onto something and then they'll kind of recreate it over and over again in different ways and so for me it was it was that kind of idea I just thought it was funny and then you know we were trapped inside of an apartment together and it just became almost like a kind of little mini tv show of our lives so yeah it was just a bit random and then it just ended up being something that people enjoyed. So what is like the craziest thing you've learned from living with girls? Um, I don't know. I think the craziest thing about living with girls really is the fact that it just like debunks everything about girls. You know, you just like yeah. you're so you suddenly, you know, they 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 become like your family in a way. Especially for someone like me, I've never had a sister, so I mm-hmm. didn't really like to. Obviously, I have my mom, but your mom is just like your mom. So you're like, oh, that's my mom. But yeah. when you never know, had like kind of close close family that were like girls of my own age so I think it was that kind of like just finding it really funny and how you know actually also how different they are to boys but also how similar girls are to boys just like you know so many things that girls would talk about and you'd be like girls talk about that that's really weird I didn't expect girls to like care about that or to to talk about that and yeah so I think it was the the craziest part was really just the whole kind of 
removing the sort of like mystery behind it all. Uh-huh. And then how did you use, how did you start using that platform to promote your music? I started like from the beginning sort of just like playing like snippets of random songs that I had written um things like that just like really from the start like even before the girl videos like when I was like I spent a month in LA and I was doing different videos there I was starting to post um funny videos but also uh, music stuff and I would just post bits of things I had written um and then I would just you know make sometimes funny videos with songs that I had already put out and yeah, I think for me, the important part was just like making sure that it wasn't like forced and that it was kind of like authentic and also being careful to not like put stuff up that wasn't like sounding like me or that wasn't like, you know, the direction that I wanted to go in with my music. So I, you, I did have to be, you do have to be kind of careful and weary of like not doing too many covers or not doing stuff that's like in other styles or that kind of territory but yeah I really enjoyed it and I think you know it's a super supportive place to share music and to share anything really and how would you describe like for people who haven't listened to you how would you describe your sound oh um god I don't know somebody described it for me recently so I could use what they said um I think it was like melancholic emotive pop I don't actually I might be completely wrong I mean for me like I don't really I don't really know I'm trying to make like emotional music like whether it's like happy or sad I'm trying to make it like as emotion filled as possible um and I think it's something that will just hopefully make you feel something like special that you don't get somewhere else yeah, one a song that I wanted to ask about because like it is a personal favorite and it always hits different in the crime playlist is fucked up all the time. So what was like the story behind that song? Where did that come from? Um, fucked up all the time was like I had just dropped out of college and I moved back home to Ireland, and I was trying to pursue my career in pop music instead of. Uh, studying classical music which is what I was doing at the Royal Academy in London and I you know I had to move back home and basically just that night kind of had a bit of a not like a I had a bit of an argument with my family it was like a very minor like sort of like disagreement and you know it was like typical sort of like mom being worried like is this the right idea to like not be in school and like Mm -hmm. my brother you know you're dumb for dropping out kind of classic stuff um and like where where at other moments they had also been super supportive so it was kind of like unexpected um and also at the same time I had fallen out with a lot of friends and like a lot of things in my life were just like not ending up the way that I thought they were going to go and like not going the way that I thought they were going to go and then I just like went into my bedroom when I was like that night and I was quite upset and I just like voice noted this little thing um funnily enough I voice noted like a completely different melody and I thought it would be a really cool song for the chain smokers and I'm often like sending them stuff so I just like recorded this like voice note of me singing like I'm so sick of feeling so fucked up all the time and it was a completely different melody and then I woke up in the morning I think or maybe I just started working on it that night and then I ended up just making it my own song and then yeah it just kind of took a life of its own I posted a bit of it on Instagram and everybody loved it and everybody said that I had to finish it and so then I did yeah, that, because I think that's really relatable for a lot of people in the early 20s where you just feel like 
you just don't know what you're doing or if you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. So when did you notice no. that your music was like starting to gain traction and gain popularity? Um, oh God, I don't know. I mean, like, I think I've been doing this for so long that it just feels like such a slow build. And then at one point you're like, wow, I have, I mean, now I'm like, holy crap, I have a lot of fans and a lot of followers and a lot of people who listen to my music and like who message me about my songs and like, and I think for me, the biggest change, like one of the biggest changes, and I say this to everybody who wants to like succeed in the music industry was when I just put music out, like you spend so long trying to achieve other things and trying to go certain ways. And really the most important thing is if you want to be a musician you need to make music and put it in, out into the world and just put out as much as you can while you can, because after a while you have to slow down and there's rules and regulations and you have a team and things you have to do. But while you're on your own, you can really do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I think from the moment I started posting my own music uh, when I was in first year in Academy, that's when I started seeing the sort of the, uh, the beginnings of you know people discovering my songs and then as it you know my following grew in the last like year or so that's when I really realized the like deeper deeper power of you know and it's what I'd always dreamt of and it's why people make why we make music is for that reason you're making it for like a greater reason than you you're making it so that it reaches people and helps people and moves people and can you know hopefully change people's lives um and like music changes my life all the time. You know, you fall in love with an album or an artist or a song and it just makes you cry or it makes you feel happy or it just like helps you go through the emotions. And I think, yeah, when you realize that you're doing that for other people, it's like, and I think that was like the, what, the most I realized it was definitely in this last sort of year since lockdown and since people have been like really um, getting into my music and really... Um, you know being locked up and really having to deal with their own emotions and themselves and then like re people reach out to me with like the most you know heartwarming and moving stories um and it's stuff that like you kind of don't really believe like you're like how can my song save your life and and it's and it's and it's like you know not to get like super deep but it's like you genuinely have there are there are people out there who you know, your music literally is what, you know, uh, wakes, gets them up in the morning or makes them cry for the first time in a long time because they've been bottling up their emotions or so many things. And then you realize like, whoa, I got like this huge responsibility and like, I really need to like, and then it becomes so much more than just the music. It becomes like who you are and what you do with your time and what you do with like your platform. And, and I think I've always just wanted to do like, you know make the world a better place and i think if you can do that with not just music but your yourself your 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 platform you know, like what you say to people take your time to speak to people and just like all of that i think it's really like a unique and special um opportunity to have especially like in your 20s to be able to do something like that you know i think it's amazing yeah because it was one of the major developments that's uh, in the music industry in the past couple of weeks is everyone's spotify wrapped coming out so we, yeah. like you had over 4 million streams. People were like, you had over 200,000 hours of people listening to your music. And like, obviously you were a lot of people's top artists or your songs were in their top songs. 
like obviously you can always see the numbers but does that really like contextualize how much time people are spending with your music yeah I, mean, I don't even know what it means to be honest like any of the numbers uh, i think for me it's kind of like i i put them there because i just i think pe- like other people want to see or whatever but i, I obviously I love to see it every year and I kind of forget that it happens, but, um, you know, like last year I had maybe 900,000 streams. And so to have like more than multiplied that by four was like insane. Mm -hmm. But like, I had to say that to myself. I had to be like, Holy shit. I multiplied the amount of streams by four. Like I would have been happy to like, just reach over you know a million streams or and it all I mean it's all very it's all very like hard to understand because like honestly a huge percentage of people's streams come from Spotify playlists which are like passive listeners so like and that's not to like shit on anybody or anybody's streams or on Spotify or anything. Like it's an amazing thing because you get exposed to so many people, but you really can't know how, like for, for example, I go to a couple of my songs that have never been playlisted by Spotify um, on, on like big playlists, like sad songs or all that kind of stuff. Um, and I look at those ones and I see like 800, 900,000 streams on that song. And that is just from people listening on the out of their own choice and out of their own will yeah. and that that's crazy like nobody like these people are going to their library every day or like they're going to their playlists and whatever every day listening to these songs and they're naturally gaining momentum and that's when you can really see like how much you know difference your music is making but yeah i mean if, having like I don't even know. I, I mean the number probably for everybody you know goes up every year and every year you're like wow but you're also like, I don't even know what that means, to be honest. Um, especially now, because you can't go out and stand in front of an audience mm-hmm. of like 100,000 people and be like, oh, that's what it means. All those people know the lyrics to my song. And I think when it gets to that point, that's when you realize, oh, that's what it translates to. Like, And, and I think it's like, for me, when I bump into people in public or whatever, and they, um and meet like fans or followers in public that's when I'm like whoa that's so crazy that like I can go outside and every day meet a new person who knows my music and like you think like oh that's it I've met them all now and then you mean you just keep meeting people uh-huh. and you're like whoa there's real humans listening to my music like just in their how ho- in their homes and like I don't even know who they are or what they look like mm-hmm. crazy so like a lot of artists COVID will have really affected your ability to play live and as you were saying like meet your fans and stuff is there a particular venue or maybe a particular song that you're really excited to get to perform live, hopefully maybe over the summer? Um, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's so much I'm excited to do. There's definitely some songs that like, I can't wait to perform, especially new music that I haven't brought out yet. And to be able to perform with a band would be amazing. Um, in terms of like venues and stuff, I like honestly have no idea what the world of touring or any of that is going to look like i am very excited to come out of this lockdown and and this whole situation when we can't play live and go into touring because i feel like i'll be in a unique position where i've built like such a good fan base to like already start out on that i'll be able to do really interesting shows and you know i've I've no idea 
whether I'll be like, you know, touring support or I'll be doing my own tours or that's stuff that's still like, you know, very up in the air because nobody really knows what's going to be open and what's happening. But mm-hmm. um, shows are being booked, which is really cool. Um, and booking agents and stuff like that are playing. Yeah, for me, I'm just like really excited to play. You know, I've actually been focusing a lot on when I'm writing music now, I've been focusing a lot on how I will be performing it. Um, because for a long time I was making music in my bedroom and I didn't really think about like, how am I going to perform this live? Like if it's just a guitar or just a piano or something, or if I'm playing with a band, like, will it be fun to sing? Is it easy to sing? Like a lot of my songs that I've released on the mixtape are extremely hard to sing. And sometimes I just have to be like, oh, I'm not even going to bother taking the risk of trying to sing that one. Yeah. It's, just like, it's not going to be one you want to be singing twice a day, every day of the week. Yeah. It's like some stuff is so delicate and so hard to sing. And like, sure, after a while you get used to it, but like I haven't performed live in such a long time that like I have to be. So I've been really like kind of writing stuff now that I'm like, it's still hard to sing, but it's hard to sing in the places that I'm good at singing. Or I like make sure that I put it in a range where... Like, I'm not, like, in this weird in-between area in my voice or, like, you know, I'm making sure that, like, because you, it's very easy to sing in your bedroom, but, like, once you're nervous and you're on stage, that's a whole other... So you really need to make it as easy as possible for yourself by, like, you know, writing stuff that's in your proper range, writing stuff that's in the good areas of your voice and things like that. So, yeah, I'm really excited to, like, sort of perform sort of those new songs, things like that, and kind of see how that freedom sort of comes back and yeah begin my like touring the beginning of my touring career I suppose so obviously everyone can listen to music on Spotify and where else can they follow you um I mean you can follow me everywhere I guess Instagram is probably the most used but I'm on Facebook um you can listen to new music everywhere from Spotify Apple Music Amazon YouTube Tidal I don't know there's so many um and TikTok of course the uh the crowd favourite. Mm-hmm. So that was Kia DeCrow. Thank you so much for talking to me, Jackie. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Now, some people might already be getting geared up for Christmas right now, watching the Christmas movies and Christmas music. But if that's not really your style or you're just not there yet, today we are going to be chatting to Ryan Hollinger. He has 620,000 subscribers on YouTube with his horror movie analysis videos. So I am here now with Ryan Hollinger. Thank you for coming on the show, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so we'll just start off and say how, when and why did you decide to get started with YouTube and making videos? Um, I, I think like I, I had been on YouTube as like an avid watcher since I was like a kid. So it was probably around when YouTube started. So I, I had always wanted to do a channel like when I was, you know, when I was in like uh, high school and I did do it on and off. And then it was around the time I started university that like, uh, you know, like I was getting kind of bored doing the same thing over and over again. And like, I wanted to sort of branch out what I was doing education wise. So like, I was really interested in like, you know, uh, like art analysis and stuff like that. So I started like mm-hmm. reviewing films and started and then, yeah, I was like reviewing films and then trying to do video game stuff as well. But I ended up like leaving that after a while. And then by the time I got to the end of university, just doing this as a hobby, I realized that the numbers had hit a point where um, I was able to kind of venture it full time when I graduated because I had the, you know, I had the luxury of like being a 
you know, I had the luxury of like living with my parents and stuff like that. So I was able to do like, yeah. a full-time job. And then over the course of like six to eight months, it kind of went quite like static and was like slowed down a bit. And then one day I started doing horror stuff because that was kind of my main interest. And then stuff just blew up from there. And ever since I've kind of been on autopilot. Yeah, so how has, you were sort of talking about you, but there, how has your content changed over the years? Like, especially as your followings got bigger? It's, so like, I, I, I would never say that I'm 100% like confident in the style I have. Like I always kind of change things up because I'm, I'm someone that kind of gets creatively quite bored quite quickly. So um, I, I had started off just doing general, like, you know, movies that like seem meaningful and stuff like that. And then as I got, went along, there was all these other creators kind of doing the same thing. And I realized that like, it wasn't, I, I felt like it got more and more sin- insincere the way I did it because I just wasn't, I realized I wasn't enjoying a few of the movies, a lot of the movies I was reviewing. So I realized I kind of thought let's just focus exclusively on what it is I love to do, which was horror stuff. And no one had really looked at horror stuff in a more like analytical way. Cause it was always, the genre has always been treated as like, it's only about scares and gore and violence and mm-hmm. nothing else. And I kind of hope to kind of go out of the way to challenge that notion. I guess you could say, I mean, if you really want to get pretentious about it, you could say that was kind of the, the, the noble goal I had initially. So ever since it's been like focusing on like, yeah, just like a really, really niche topics uh, related to like things to do with like fear and, 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 anxiety and stuff that like I I have going on in my own life like you know like so I try to look at it from like a therapeutic point of view like not saying I'm trying to be therapeutic but it's like more of a I feel like I learn a lot more about myself by looking at you know films because that's just sort of what I've grown up with. You'd mentioned something there that I wanted to talk about with you is horror maybe has a bit of a reputation for being a more lowbrow genre yeah. But obviously, as a fan of horror, you would dispute that. So how would you respond to people that maybe think in that way? I, I think it kind of comes back to how people have responded to any form of art over the years. Like, horror has been with cinema since, like, the very beginning. In fact, like, horror was one of the earliest genres. I mean, you're going to go back to, like, the era of expressionism and stuff like that, even when you go into... Um, you look at the way art had developed through time and stuff. I, th- I feel like horror has always been ingrained, but as a genre... By the time we hit like around the 80s, it sort of seemed that the, the pop culture side of it took over where everybody got really obsessed with, you know, the lowbrow side of it. So mm-hmm. because horror, horror right up until around the, the seven, until around, until around the 80s was like generally it was like looking at like real contentious issues in society and stuff like they were very, very socially driven. Like I know in the 70s was all about stranger danger and like domestic terror and and so things that were kind of going on so there was quite like a, a very heavy heavy sort of sociological and philosophical and even and political aspect to how the genre was but it gets overlooked when you kind of get into the 80s and you kind of get the, the traditional slashers even though a lot of them you know could be argued otherwise but if you look at horror in the last five years i think it's kind of taken it's taken form into like a really really high end artistic movement now i'd say you know so it seems that people are starting to realize how horror can be used as like, you know, a way of, of detailing things that are going on in the world. Cause we do kind of live in, you know, arguably quite scary times. So why not use the genre to try and capitalize on that? Yeah. Cause one of your recent videos was about uh, pulse and fear.com, which yeah. was about a lot of sort of current issues. So how do you think horror is, why is it a good genre for working in the fears that we face in like our real life? 
I, I, I think what's interesting about horror is because it's so fantastical and because you're kind of approaching it from a completely fictitious point of view. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at, you know, ghosts and goblins and, and, and werewolves and stuff, you, I, I feel like it encourages people to kind of be more open-minded and embrace thing, you know, and, you know, embrace unknowns and stuff. I think when you kind of focus so much exclusively on realism, you kind of almost, you kind of hit a dead end with that, I think. Whereas like with horror, it, it can sort of, uh, dare I use the kind of the cliche, the subvert, subvert expectations. So people kind of, it, you know, the, the genre has the ability to kind of go off in so many different directions and keep changing shape. So you'll, see people get much more experimental with it. And I think that that's where it's, where it's at its strongest is when people stop looking at horror as a, as a pure about, you know, just purely as realism and looking at it as a psychological thing. So uh, I, I, I think it works because, you know, I, I, I've always, I've, I always like it when people look at a film uh, in the way that they would, the, the way that it would relate to them as opposed to looking at it at face value. So you're watching a, a movie that's you know it's just about a guy running away from a vampire it's like usually within that you try to look for a sort of the human side of it and i feel like mm. that will teach you more about yourself in a way like that's that's how i've approached it i mean people would argue there's the element of overthinking it and you're just trying to you're trying to like justify it and over explain it but i i you know if, if you can do that with with um you know the most highbrow of of dramas i'm sure you can do it with any other genre yeah, and then maybe more sort of contentious question would be how do, what films do you think really present modern fears well? Because it can get, they can get, if they're too on the nose, then they can become a bit sort of cheesy or lowbrow. So what are the ones that you think really present uh, modern fears in a good way? If, if we're looking at modern fears, I mean, I I, I feel like, I mean, I, that's always a tough one because when I'm trying to look at specific examples, I think in recent memory, um, like one of the better directors who's kind of emerged in recent memory was Ari Aster, who did Summer and Hereditary. So he did, he did like mm -hmm. one year after the other. And Hereditary was like an interesting way of like using um, sort of like demonic, supernaturally kind of supernatural cult like a narrative to explore like family drama and like grief and, and mental illness and stuff like that. Whereas you had um midsummer that looked at the same thing about toxic relationships and you know the discussions that are having about like you know how how we how we're, we're coming more self-aware of kind of how we treat each other in the world you know and so th there's there's always been like a moral uh like like um, there's always been like a moral theme that's always come across the genre and you know you even see it in films like um the witch and even the lighthouse which was done by robert eggers he's another filmmaker who's kind of a, uh, came about at the same time and his films are all set in the past but like they're good ways at exploring issues that happened then and actually have prevalence today so um if you look at uh, the witch it was about you know how how witchcraft was treated in the 1700s and how things like you know fear-mongering and and like bad ideologies and stuff like that can create really, really, really bad, um, you know, negative attributes in society. And like that's that stuff's all relevant today, which what makes it even more scary when you know it's already it was has already existed and it's existed even more so now, especially with you know how politics is, especially in the US, mm -hmm. as it as it were. I know it sort of feels like we're going through a bit of like a horror renaissance at the minute because even a lot of those films you're saying like Ari Aster, Lighthouse, those are all films that are coming out in the past few years 
and they're seeing I think they're starting to be seen maybe more now as like I feel like a lot of the good horror movies they were like the exception to the rule and now yeah. horror movies are just becoming good again uh, another phenomenon that we see in a lot of genres but I think it's even it's coming out a lot in horror and I thought it would really came st- or stood out in your recent video about adaptations of the time machine is the role of nostalgia yeah um it's interesting it's interesting because i know like nostalgia always sells people kind of love being reminded of like some cherished moment that's you know even sometimes you look back on it's not even a cherished thing when i was like really young like i did watch a lot of really terrible schlocky horror things and and like they probably terrified me as a kid probably look at today you know as an adult it's not really having any effect on me but it's it's always interesting how like I think if we try to, this sounds like a terrible way of saying I think if you try to be too much of an adult, you kind of do lose a bit of the joy. Uh, you know, you do, like, like life's such a serious, tough thing that it's kind of like nice to feel like a child again sometimes. So, mm-hmm. and, and, there, and there is sort of something wondrous about the way kind of horror is kind of, it's self-aware enough to know that it's, it can be daft and silly and, and some, you know, we talk all about these like really serious, stern horror films, but then the ones that kind of just always have fun with themselves, especially like early 2000s where like very, they took themselves very seriously, but then you look back retrospectively on them, they were kind of, they were looking to be fun. They were looking to be escapist, um, you know, because not everyone kind of goes into a horror movie explicitly to be scared it is it is more the adrenaline rush of it it is to have fun so Mm -hmm. you know looking at things that I remember from my childhood it's just interesting how I felt about them back then compared to how I feel about them now which is it's like wow I didn't realize you know how much of an effect this may have had in my you know creative life or something Mm -hmm. and your most recent video is called the terrifying genius of wreck you want to tell us a wee bit about that video and what that what that's about yeah so wreck is a 2007 spanish film that arguably was sort of seen as like the rejuvenation of fine footage films uh like fine footage kind of like made like a massive peak in like the blair witch era so that was like 1999 disappeared for the longest time then in around 2007 uh wreck came along in spain made a big massive uh, impact became quite a, a cult followed film and then Soon after Rex release, along came you know the likes of Cloverfield and Paranormal Activity, and it just became a massive big genre again. Um, what's what was interesting about like Rex for its time was that it was it was it, it kind of went back to where a lot of found footage films in the past had kind of gone wrong, which was they kind of went for like really ridiculous shaky cam and like didn't really make much sense, and they lost they they were really really fake and artificial, and like Rex was kind of going back to that authenticity and trying to bring a very real um like sense of it's like a real sense of place like wreck kind of takes it like it's a kind of a bit of a zombie narrative and it kind of it, it like kind of veers off in another direction eventually but it tries to kind of grind itself as much in reality as possible so creating that very um i you know you're isolated in, in a building there's an emergency you don't know what's going on and the, the the reality of it is just how ambiguous and how overwhelming that situation is and it just it captured that just so plainly and rawly and and just everyone from then on kind of got the same idea from it yeah no because found footage movies i think a lot of people do think they're overdone but they can be done well and wreck is definitely proof of that do you have a 
do you have a favorite video that you've made today or is there any videos or like ones that you've made that you remember being really proud of there's all there's all so i'm very bad for being quite like never happy with the final product that's just been me i am i'm never going to be perfectly satisfied until i forget that i made the video i think the one i'm most proudest of was in actually in recent memory which is a video on possum by matthew holness like that film was kind of came out in 2018 it's a british film um but a guy who has like a, a puppet that looks like a spider and also looks like him and it's it's a very strange sort of 70s homage a bit experimental uh, it kind of goes back to the kind of kitchen sink uh, era of filmmaking. So like the Ken Loach films and stuff of like the 60s and 70s. It had a bit of a tiny, like I had tiny like cult following, but it was obscure enough. And I kind of, I kind of told myself back when it released, oh, I'm totally going to do a video on this one day. Then two years later, I finally did it. And the movie kind of, what I was most proud of was that like when the video released, it became my highest viewed video, well, highest viewed video in like the course of 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's now sitting on like over a million hits now, but at the time it kind of got a bit, it, it got the film trending, which I didn't think, I didn't think I ever had that kind of reach. And mm-hmm. so you had like on Twitter and stuff, there was people doing fan art that there were a lot of people reaching out to Matthew Holness, the, the, the director, even the guy who did the, the concept art for it and stuff like that. And so it had a like a slight little pull. And like, I, I, I kind of think like if I, it, it made me realize kind of how, how, how much, how much how important that platform is that i have like how i can actually make obscure small indie films and get them out to a wider audience and you know i'm not saying like i'm so some sort of like uh like i'm anything special but it made me realize the potential that uh that the channel had to kind of you know give more attention more of a spotlight to films that i think deserved more more attention at their time so mm-hmm. that would be my big one do you ever feel any pressure from having that size of an audience? Because obviously you're at like 600,000 subscribers, over half a million. And a lot of your videos are getting like that many or or twice as many views as that. So do you ever mm. feel any, like when you're, when you're in the creative process or when you post things, do you ever feel any pressure? All the time, I guess, is kind of, I guess, yes, yeah, pretty much all the time. Um, I, I, I think the pressure kind of comes from... Uh, I, I, if, if there's one video that usually does really well, it's all about, okay, how do I replicate that? See, how do I, you know, kind of appease the audience that like that and make them like the next video. And I think over time I've kind of eased into it a bit. Like I, I'm a little bit clear as to what my audience like and what they don't like. Um, I, I do tend to kind of always focus on the things that I want to do first. I mean, like that's the kind of um, unique opportunity I have is that I'm able to, you know, I'm not forced down a rabbit hole of, you know, churning out content just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the pressure kind of comes with just being able to kind of play into YouTube as a, as a, as a platform. Cause YouTube has like a notorious, um, it's a, notorious for them wanting you to have a high turnover of content. And I don't really want to play too much into that system. I prefer releasing my weekly videos and keeping it like that. I don't want to be chasing views. I don't want to be clickbait and I don't want to be doing it any of these you know you play the game as much as you can but you don't want to end up going down a road where you're just doing it because you have to so mm-hmm. the the pressure mostly comes from just the 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 making sure that your 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 channel is like staying somewhat relevant even though like I'm a, my channel's like kind of niche enough that I I don't have the same pressure like, like vloggers and stuff do where they have to kind of pump stuff out every single day mm-hmm. but it's it's gotten better but you know I, I'm nothing really without the scripts that I write because I'm quite, as you can see me talking now, like I kind of ramble on and kind of, I'm always constantly chasing my thoughts. 
And yeah. I don't really, I, I'm not the most articulate person in real life. Like, and I think the the Ryan you see in the videos is not the Ryan I am as a, in, in real life. So mm-hmm. it's making sure kind of people know that there is a, there is a disconnect between the two. Uh, it might be uh, like asking like a parent to pick their favorite child. But if you had to say, would you have like a favorite horror movie of all time? Could you pick one? My f- favorite my favorite's probably the thing it's the one i tend to go back to i think it's because john carpenter is my favorite filmmaker but i I like that one because it is kind of like really straightforward and it is kind of playing more on on ambiguity and stuff like that and i kind of like shape-shifting narratives i kind of like you know i'm not really entirely sure what the threat is or what the danger is you know and it becomes more about you know how the characters deal with the situation they can't completely explain so that's the one i go to it's just like it's a balance between like oh, it's a really good serious creepy horror movie and it's just a lot of fun at the same time yeah well that's great thank you so much and where can everyone follow you and subscribe to your channel uh yes they can go to youtube.com slash ryan hollinger uh they should be able to find me there they can also find me on twitter.com slash ryan hollinger as well that's the convenience of having a surname that not many people do have is ryan hollinger is usually me (laughs) no i don't think i haven't met any others yet so that's where i am that's great thank you so much yeah thank you very much I'm here now with Emma Walton and Neve Bell, our series regulars, who are going to be talking to us about their TV and film recommendations for the week. Emma and Neve, how are you? Gucci gang, Gucci Gucci. <laughs> yes, all good. How are you? I'm, I'm just great. Very glad to hear. And we're going to be talking our TV and film recommendations. So last week we started with Emma. So this week we will start with Neve. Neve, what is your first recommendation for the week? So my first recommendation, I know we've got a lot of uh, Christmas things coming up in these recommendations, so I'll start with one that is not a Christmas film in case that's really not your thing. But my first recommendation is going to be Dream Home Makeovers. It's a show on Netflix. And basically it is about this couple who have set up their own interior design business and they have their own line of furniture as well. And the basic principle is that every episode they are doing a makeover of somebody's home. So it's like pretty standard in that sense. Um, You've probably seen a lot of shows like that before where they're just redoing the home. Mm -hmm. But this is very modern, very up-to-date. All the style is very contemporary, uh, but not contemporary in that way that like Kim Kardashian's house doesn't have any furniture in it. Like this is very artfully done. And basically one thing that would make it different is the fact that they, the couple who are the interior designers, are actually building their own home along the whole of the season. So any tips so they're doing somebody else's house, but they also check into the progress of their home that they're building. Oh, stunning. And these are like, <laughs> these are like some serious homes as well. Like everything is like, I they saying that we can fit whatever your budget, whether it's 2000 like $200,000 or $2 million. I was like, okay, but what can you, you were do like, what for about 20 quid here? Like, <laughs> that's, what about 20? Yeah, no, it's pretty high profile, but that's what makes it so good. So if you enjoy things like selling Sunset and you just like looking at the houses, which is what I enjoy for, uh, you'll definitely like this show and just to be able to like be jealous and, you know, dream. That's the thing. It's like dream home, basically. Yeah, it's like, just the escapism just, like, of like imagining like, what I'm doing yourself. the house. Yes, exactly. So it's available on Netflix. There's one season on there at the minute. And if you like a wee bit of imagining yourself as an interior decorator, I would definitely recommend it. Thank you so much. And now we will go to Emma for her first 
uh, recommendation of the week and I know it's coming into Christmas which is Emma's favourite season so I have no doubt that these recommendations are going to be 10 out of 10 cringe there is much cringe but this first one is less Christmas which I know is controversial for me coming like into two weeks to Christmas but it is one that was controversial in itself when it first came out and it's High School Musical, the musical, the series. Now, I know when the trailer came out, when it was announced it was happening, people were like, it will never live up to High School Musical. You can't like duplicate it. You can't do it with other people. And I agree, but that's not what this show does. So basically, it is about these group of teenagers who are putting on the musical High School Musical in the high school that the film High School Musical was set in. That is so, extremely meta. Very meta. I mean, if you really want to just like think about the universe and your own mortality, this is the perfect show for you. Um, so it starts off with this, like this drama, like um, very self-reflexive in a way. The drama teacher at the start, like the movie first starts off with it all in this together sequence being played, and then the buffering starts, and you're sitting there thinking, like, is my internet fucked up? But then it cuts to the drama teacher watching it outside the high school. So it's a show that has an appreciation for its roots, High School Musical, but it's also a great show in its own merit. It has its own original music. Um, All I Want is the big song from it that was on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got a few cameos um, from people who are in High School Musical, but the the characters themselves are actually quite good, except the main girl is kind of like Gabriella vibes, very vanilla, like doesn't serve me the spice Mm. I need. But there are some really fun characters. Well, everyone who's watched High School Musical knows that Sharpay Evans was the real star of that show anyway. And you're going, there is a girl, I will not name her, come come speak to me if you watch it and then you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. There's a girl who's such a vibes, like she's so amazing and you're rooting for her and she doesn't get nearly as good as, as the main girl. But it's really good. There's romance, of course. There's much drama. And if you're a big musical theatre nerd, it's like the behind the scenes of putting on a musical. So honestly, what more, what more could you want in a TV show? So that's on... Disney Plus, um, but I know not everyone is as bougie and dedicated to that Disney life as I am. So <laughs> if you just need to do the old dark web search, I yep, highly recommend. It's a fun, it is a cringy watch. I'm not going to lie, there are very cringe moments, but it's worth it. Worth, worth all the cringe. Lethal. And now we'll go back to Nave. And Nave, what is your second recommendation for this week? Okay, so I know we're talking about Christmas and we're talking about cringe and one of the big cringy Christmas films that I know and love uh, is a film called Deck the Halls. It's available on Amazon Prime. I think it's just been put on there for the festive season. Mm-hmm. And basically it's super cringy. Um, a lot of the jokes don't necessarily land in 2020. They're not 2020 appropriate. Yeah, honestly, it hasn't. And it came out in 2007 and it, it kind of watches like more of like a 1997 film. But um, not to put yourself too much, there is one big redeeming factor in this film and the redeeming factor is Danny DeVito. Uh, I know there's a lot of Danny DeVito stands out there, myself included. I know, I can't believe so there's a Christmas movie with Danny DeVito and I haven't seen it. That's all I'll say. Well, you know what you're doing tonight then, don't you? You've got plans. Yeah. <laughs> So basically the concept of the film is um, there's a man who's known in his town, played by Matthew Broderick, a.k.a. Ferris Bueller, 
So he is, he's known about this town, it's quite a small town, as um, the Christmas guy. Like that's his shtick, that's his thing, that's what he lives for. And he loves that, he loves that that's his role. But all of a sudden, uh, Danny DeVito, obviously not playing himself, he plays a character called Buddy Hall. But Danny DeVito moves in across the road and essentially tries to take his gig. Like he wants to be the new Christmas guy, like he wants to fulfill that role within the town. And he basically feels like he's done nothing with his life. He hasn't had any great accomplishments. So he decides that what is going to be the crowning jewel to his entire life story is the fact that he's going to make his house visible from space. So, so basically what he does is, yeah, I know, it's every everybody's life goal, isn't it? But um, he basically decks out his whole house with Christmas lights and makes this huge like spectacle of his house so that it can be seen from space. And naturally, his neighbour, Matthew Broderick, does not take too well to this. So basically, the incidents are just the kind of comp- competition between the two main characters. Um, and if that's not enough, if Danny DeVito wasn't enough to make you watch it, Kristen Chenoweth of Wicked Fame also has a singing moment in the last sort of 15 minutes of the film. So that's a real redemption as well. But yeah, if you are sick of watching the same rotation of Christmas films, if you've seen Home Alone and Elf too many times, I would definitely recommend giving Deck the Halls a shot. It's only, it's under two hours, so you can squeeze it in really easily into your day. And it's available on Amazon Prime now. Definitely, so that's Deck the Halls. And now we will go back to Emma again for her final recommendation. Emma, tell us what it is. So, yes, this is my Christmas movie recommendation. And it's a very selfish recommendation because it's one of those ones where a film or TV show comes out and you watch it and you love it or you just really want to talk about it with people and no one else on the planet has even heard of it let alone seen it so this is just so I can have some closure on on watching this movie mm-hmm. so it's Let Snow on Netflix and basically the premise is that it's kind of like a love actually for teenagers so it follows the story of all these teenagers that live in this non-script American town uh really not sure where it is Chicago I don't know um it's always a small town all- in these movies always a small town always like 10 inches of snow um it's great but I want if I could live in those times I would and it's center it centers around these group teenagers who are all kind of linked in some way um and follows them as they all do their separate journeys on Christmas Eve my favorite storyline though um as I always have with these types of films there's always one storyline that sticks out is this girl who goes to look for a Christmas present for her mother. Um, and then she's on the train back and she runs into Pop Sensation, can't remember his name. Um, but he's like, oh my God. And she's not like other girls. And she's like, I don't care that you're famous. I don't know who but you are. I read books. I read books and I just don't have time to read. Well, she doesn't read books. There's a, a different reason why, you know. But, you oh, know, okay. You, have to, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just teasing you and trying to draw you in here. Um, but the train breaks down, so then they both have to like journey um, to their you know locations together, and they bond, and uh, it's really great. Um, he has some music in the film, which is really good. It's just a really fun like Christmas film, um, kind of for our generation. Um, the girl from Sabrina, like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, like do that Netflix series. She's in yes. it. The guy who played King Ben in the Descendants franchise is in it. So big names, big big names. Yes. Um, that like older actress, she always plays like 
the mum figure or like the weirdy one she's in the confessions of a shopaholic but you'll know her when you see her she's mm. in it and it's just it's a fun christmasy watch easy watching um and i just want uh, everyone to hit me up after they've watched it so then we can have a wee a wee discussion about it but it's it's really fun and then they all come together all the storylines come together at the end for a big party sequence oh my god the guy who oh my god now I'm just talking about the cast. The guy who's in Spider-Man Homecoming, like the new Spider-Man movie, he plays Ned, like his best friend. Oh, yes. Uh, do you know who it is? Yes, I do know who you're on about. I got really He's in it. And he's the one that's trying to throw... Yes, he's trying to throw a party at his house. But his parents, who thought were away for the weekend, come back. So then he's trying to find somewhere else to throw it. So that's his storyline. So that's a lot of fun. But there's good music in it, like a really good soundtrack, some new Christmas bops that you can, if you're looking to upgrade your Christmas playlist, watching this film will help in that way. So yeah, that's Let's Know on Netflix. Just a nice, classic rom-com. Not too cringy, just the right amount of cringe. Stunning. So to round it up, our TV and film recommendations, Nave is recommending Dream Home Makeovers on Netflix and Deck the Halls on Amazon Prime. And Emma is recommending High School Musical, the musical, the series on Disney Plus and Let It Snow, which is also on Netflix. So thank you so much, Emma and Nave, for being with us again. Thank you for Thanks, having Claudia. us, Claudia. See you next week. See you next week. And finally, to wrap up this really exciting episode of The Trendy Scoop, I'm going to be talking to Ronan O'Connell, Dara Kelly, Francis Fallon, Stephen McGuinness and Ethan Quinton. They are five of the members of the iconic dance troupe Karja, which has been taken TikTok by storm. They currently have 1.6 million followers and over 20 million likes on the app, which is just a testament to how unique and creative their content is. They now have their own merch and they've also appeared on the Late Late Show and we're really excited to hear what they have to say today. So I'm here now with the boys from Karja. Well, how are you all? So to start off, do you want to do you want to go around and introduce yourselves and just tell us your age, what you do? Yeah, we go youngest, oldest boys. Yeah. So I'm Ronan. I'm 18, and I'm from Galway. Yeah, I'm Dara. I'm 19, and I'm also from Galway. I'm Ethan. I'm I'm Ethan. I'm 20 from Clare. I'm Stephen, I'm 20 and also from Clare. And I'm Francis, I'm 20 and I'm from Galway. So to start off, do you want to talk a wee bit about what are your like backgrounds with Irish dancing? So how did you get into it? How long have you been doing it? Yeah, uh, so I, I got my first taste of Irish dancing in primary school. My dance teacher's sister came to teach us Irish dance as part of the PE kind of curriculum in school. And I just, I really enjoyed it. So I came home to my mom and said, you know, I did this at school today. I, I loved it. And all of her family happened to dance with the Hessian school. So she knew exactly where to bring me. So, yeah, I guess I fell in love with it at first sight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my parents, they were in Riverdance. And I spent the first two years of my life on the road with Riverdance touring. So no way. Little, actually, yeah, it's gas. So I was kind of brought up with the music and the dance. And then when we settled back here in Galway, then um, I started dancing with the Hessian school along with Ronan and Francis. So that's how I kind of got into it. And, and 
So it's Irish dancing is maybe like still sort of seen as something that's quite like female dominated, particularly like for people that are like when you're younger, it's mostly girls doing it. Did you use, like face any sort of stigma when you were younger for being involved in Irish dancing? I think we all probably did take a little bit of stick here and there, but it was nothing like too bad for I'm speaking on my own behalf. Like I think no one really cared what you were doing. You just you got on with it. Most people yeah. most people don't seem to care. Like they'll they might be like, Oh, what's he at? Like for a second, but then they'll see it and then sure enough they'll be impressed or whatever and they won't care anymore. Like so people kinda yeah. sure there's, there's definitely no one's you. lagging his now. Yo, oh, yeah, that's what I was gonna no. say. Like when we were younger, maybe there could have been a, a, a bit of slagging here and there, but like when we're older now and we can see what, what it's got, where it's brought us, you know, definitely no slagging now. I mean, the term twinkle toes was thrown around a little bit over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it wasn't too bad. And then how did you start out on TikTok? What made you want to bring the dance in on a TikTok? Um, I, we, we first kind of started making videos this year, kind of in May, just because we had the time and Francis was doing a a fundraiser on Facebook. So he's kind of the one who got us moving with the videos. And we saw other people in the Irish dance community doing well on TikTok. And we thought, you know, we'd give it a try. Why not? It's working for other people. And sure enough, we put up our first video on the 1st of July of this year. And it was kind of funny. We were sitting around. We went on a kind of a lad's trip down in Scrum. Brand has a camper van up there. And we said, okay, it'd be great now if we had a thousand followers by the end of the month. And sure enough, we were absolutely nowhere near it at like 500 followers. But then the next day we had our our first viral video. And by the next day, I think we had 70,000. So Something crazy. Uh, anyways, yeah. yeah, it was kind of just seeing that it was working for other people and we gave it a chance and it worked for us too, thankfully. So what was that first video that blew up? Like what was what was involved in that one? We did um, the Taylor Swift um, love story trend where you like push a skateboard and then so we pushed the skateboard and then Ronan and Dara came up dancing behind me and then we were just doing trebles and it, it, like it's only like 10 seconds long but then it just blew up because it was to the trend music you know on, on uh, TikTok. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an Irish dancing version of a really popular trend going on at the moment and everyone's yeah. snapped onto it like they're like this is new we like this <laughs> well are your followers mostly Irish or is there like people from like other parts of the world they're everywhere to be honest like it's funny we get some comments in a lot of our videos in languages that like even I don't recognise it's crazy I know we were looking at our follower graph the last day and we had loads from like the Philippines and which was crazy and also, like, the USA is massive. And kind of, it's funny, in our latest videos, we've gotten more of, like, a an Irish traction from being on the Late, late Show. But um, it's crazy if we're to look through all the followers. They're literally everywhere. And all sort of intersection, I think, with your followers. Like, I've interviewed a few people that have, like, biggest followings on TikTok. But you are the first ones that, like, my ma has heard of. Do you notice, like, maybe some <laughs> more, like, big, bigger diversity of age in your followers as well yeah we we like have like young followers and old followers i think like irish dancing is really generic can like it can resonate with every age group yeah it's so, accessible to everyone 
Yeah, it, so that works well for us to have like uh, all different ages involved. And then how do you make your videos unique? So is it just using like maybe unconventional music for our dance or do you change, like would you change like the steps and stuff when you're coming up with what you're going to do in your videos? Um, we're getting a little bit lazy now in, with our choreography. We try to use the same steps as much as possible just so that we can get as much content out there as we can during our limited time together because obviously we're living in different counties under restrictions it's we're finding it hard to meet up um but like it depends on the, the song like we kind of look at what's trending on tiktok at the time and if it is if its timing is a bit funny or you know there's certain syncopated beats we'd like to hit we do change up the choreography but for the most part we're kind of trying to stick to our main steps now because they've worked so far so if it's not broke and if there's like a trend in dance move associated with the song try and slide it in there somewhere in between the, the Irish dance just to yeah. you know, keep people's attention yeah. yeah one of our second viral videos uh, after the Taylor Swift was it was a TikTok dance and three of us did like an Irish dance version of the dance in the front and then three of us did like the TikTok dance in the back the we like yeah. incorporated like the different moves in the Irish dance part as well and then we, we've done a few of those videos as well so they, they worked for us too yeah Mm -hmm. and so you're currently sitting on 1.6 million followers and 20 million likes which is crazy like but do you, it's a really big milestone and what was the reaction when you found out that you had hit a million followers it was it was pretty mental I think I was I was the first one to realize I was the only one awake it was the morning myself and Dara got our leaving cert results and I was up just I was on the way to Dublin Airport that morning. It was about four in the morning when we hit it. And it was it was really surreal because I was kind of just sitting in the car on my own, being like, Oh my god, there's a million people literally, you know, wanting to know what we do now. And of course there's a, a text sent into the group chat straight away, but they didn't see it until they woke up. How would feel for you lads? It was a nice feeling now to wake up to the million. Nice surprise <laughs> in the morning, to be honest. But yeah, it's it's just gas. Like it's funny when we started off, you know, we had small goals for ourselves. We'll hit, you know, a thousand followers at the end of the month, and God knows when we'd hit even two or three thousand. But to look back and say we actually have one point six million followers is absolutely ridiculous. Like it's crazy. It's still hard to believe. Like I still don't believe it. Like it's it's just mad. Yeah, trying to trying to think of one or one point six million people in a room. Like just. It just don't. It just doesn't. You can't comprehend it. Like, and then there's not even a million, not even a million followers. But that uh, banjo beats video, people throw the word viral around. But as of today, that that is on eighty four million views. Like that's like viral. Like when you were posting that, did you have any idea it was going to be like it was going to get so big? Friend forgot we recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we recorded two other videos that day and. We, we said, okay, we, we'll post one of them tonight. And I was like, okay, we can post the first one we did or, this, or the last one we did. And then they were like, oh, what about the other one we did? And I was like, I can't remember that. Did we do three videos today? Uh, and then we were, we were like, okay, we'll post that up. And we, we, we posted it up and two of the lads went in and were getting our takeaway dinner, our takeaways. We got like pizza and pasta and stuff. And we were brought in the car back to my house and then it was like a half an hour later and it had about, I don't know what, it, like 
20,000 views? Yeah, a couple thousand. Yeah, it had it had a few thousand anyways in half an hour. And we were like, oh my God, this is unreal. Like, we never expected it at all. And then that night, we went live on TikTok and it, it blew up then. It had about, I think, 10 million the next morning. It was just crazy, yeah. That's crazy. Mm. And then off the back of that, you've been on the Late Late Show. So what was that like? God. That was, I think that was the best experience we've definitely had as a group. It was like, when I got the phone call from Ronan, it's like, are you free next Friday? And I was kind of like, I suppose I would be, yeah. Um, I believe this is about the late, late. And we were like, yeah, we're going on next Friday. And I was like, oh, geez, I have to tell the mother and the granny and the granddad and the uncles, the aunts, telling everyone. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a stressful yeah. week, though, kind of putting that number together because... We never had nothing more than a TikTok video together. Like we hadn't a full number, so stressful week building up to it, but hundred percent worth it. It was, yeah. it was a yeah. experience. And even not really nice. Just like it made it all the more real because you have all these followers on your phone and it's great. But we hadn't really done like a, a public performance. But when you're literally like when we were on the late late and stepped into the studio, I think it made everything like wow, like we're actually doing really, really well. Well, that's nothing too. With talk of like vaccines and stuff floating about, we'll hopefully be out of lockdown soon. What would be your goals for coming into the next few months and coming into the summer? What do you just want to start doing? Um, I think for the next few months, we want to continue like making videos and continue to grow. And then hopefully then when COVID is over, we can do a show. Hopefully, maybe, I don't know if it's sooner rather than later. I don't know, but maybe travel a bit and See, see where it takes us we it's hard to know really but we're just taking it day by day and enjoying it while we can yeah yeah we'd love to perform to an audience at some stage just any audience at all anyone who look at us <laughs> someone <laughs> yeah well, no doubt you'll get to at some point but you also have your own merch out now as well where can people get that uh our link is in our bio on instagram and tiktok uh hairybaby.com yeah um it, tomorrow, this is recorded on the 3rd of December, but the 4th of December is the last day to get the merch before Christmas. So, um, but it still be available after that. So yeah, it, it's really cool. There's hoodies and crewnecks and t-shirts and hats and masks and whatnot. So you can check that out. So definitely everyone needs to get out and get their card your merch and make sure to follow them on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you so much for being on the show and talk to me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that is about all we have time for in the Trendy Scoop today. It has been such a huge episode. Thank you so, so, so much to all our guests. Thank you to Kane Crow, Ryan Hollinger, Ronan, Dara, Francis, Stephen and Ethan from Cardia. And of course, thank you to Emma Walton and Lee Bell. We are going to be back next week for another episode of the Trendy Scoop. And I've been Claudia Savage. Mm-hmm.